All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles out from the book of Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter number 3. And um, I have a prayer request for her, if you would. Uh, pray for me. Pray for my wife, if you would. She found out uh, through the grapevine who was preaching, and she went ahead and volunteered to be in the nursery tonight. And uh, so when pastor said, if you wanted to slip out during the prayer time, I, I mean... My wife did it, so, you know, feel free to as well, um, but uh, uh, what a great day we've had already, and um, I, God has a sense of humor. I, I found out uh, the other day that from Pastor, he asked me to preach this evening, and of course, I was excited about that, and um, so I was thinking about what God would have me to preach, and I had settled on something last night, and then got to church this morning, and basically, the Sunday school lesson was... Really, everything plus what plus some of what I was going to preach on. It's like, well, uh, God's messing with me, and so back to the drawing board. And um, but I hope to be a help and a blessing to you here this evening, out of the book of Exodus, chapter number three. And uh, we're going to read uh, several verses of scripture out of this chapter. And um, one thing that I think that we fail in a lot of times is a lot of the basics um, we we take for granted sometimes because we are. We are a people that have, most of us have grown up in church. Uh, many of us have. Uh, this is an established church. And a lot of times, I think sometimes, uh, I know I, I find myself taking things for granted that we would call basics uh, that, you know, I need to be reminded of. And so I hope to be a help and an encouragement and a challenge here this evening out of the book of Exodus, uh, chapter number three. Let's go ahead and begin reading with verse number seven. Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, in the Hivites, in the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. I want you to skip over to chapter 4. We'll read a couple verses over here in chapter 4, and then uh, we'll pray and get into the message. The Bible says in verse number 1, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. 
that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Skip down to verse 17, and then we'll close up with verse 20. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Verse 20. And Moses took his wife and his sons, and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Uh, I'm quickly learning to really admire, I've always admired Moses, but you know, I mean obviously I admire a lot of Bible characters as you do, Um, but the more I study the life of Moses and the more that I find out uh, about him, the more he's quickly becoming one of my favorite Bible characters. I mean a great man that he was, and, uh, but I find a truth here in verse number 2 of chapter 4 that I want to draw our attention to. This is our text verse. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? I want to bring a message here this evening entitled exactly that. What is that in thine hand? What is that in thine hand? Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to come to church and, uh, Lord, preach uh, your word. Lord, I pray that I will be a blessing. I pray that you'll fill me with your power and with your Holy Spirit uh, as I try to be a help. I pray that uh, if there's anybody here today, Lord, that's not for sure they're going to heaven. Uh, Lord, they they may be here for the first time. They might have been here for uh, decades, but Lord, if if they're not saved, I pray you'll work in their heart. Uh, Lord, I trust I'm talking to Christians here. And Lord, I pray you to stir our hearts here this evening. Speak to our hearts, and I pray we'll not leave here uh, the same as when we came in. Speak to us here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. What is that in thine hand? I want you to picture Moses at this certain point in his life. He finds himself on the backside of a desert, keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. According to Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21, the Bible says Moses was content to dwell with the man. He had a wife named Zipporah, a son named Gershom, and a job as a shepherd. Moses lived a content life. But Moses also lived a burdened life. He lived a life at this point that was dominated by disappointment and regret in his sinful action. You see, it was Moses, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, and heir to the throne of Egypt, who finds himself in a barren place outside of the beautiful palace that he had grown up in because he had murdered an Egyptian uh, in defense of a Hebrew. He lived a life at this point without seeming direction not knowing what to do of any earthly or eternal significance with his life. He lived a life in a dead-end destination, seemingly bound to the backside of the desert. One day, while Moses is keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, God comes to him and calls him from the midst of a burning bush to go back to Egypt and lead his people out of bondage. Now, I want you to think about that because think about where Moses is at in his life. He went from the palace out to the wilderness. Uh, He went from having everything to having nothing. And and what a great testament to him that he could be content with that, going from having everything to all of a sudden having nothing uh, but the clothes on his back uh, and the job that he's doing as a shepherd. And what a great lesson that is right there. But I want you to think about Moses at this point in his life, what he has done, where he has come from. I mean, he's killed a man. For him to go back to Egypt is, is, is absolute a death sentence for him. And so in my mind, and I, I think the Bible is true when we read about this account, Moses has fears. Moses has insecurities. Moses has doubts. 
And because of this, because Moses has fears and Moses has insecurities and Moses has doubts, Moses offers excuses. And God, in his response to Moses' fears and insecurities and doubts and excuses, says to him in verse 2 of chapter 4, what is that in thine hand? You see, God points out something to Moses I think is a twofold question. I think it's a rhetorical question, while at the same time he is literally asking Moses to consider what is in his hand. Moses responds to God with a simple statement, a rod. Now, I think about Moses here. I'm wondering at this point when God says, what is that in his hand? I mean, God, it's just a rod. I mean, it's just something I use to keep the sheep. It's something I use to, uh, as a walking stick. Uh, what is so special about this rod? And it was God, through divine revelation, that would proceed to reveal to Moses that what he had in his hand was not just any ordinary rod. You see, it was special. It was supernatural. It represented to Moses God's presence and his power and protection and provision in life. You know, the psalmist penned it best when he wrote in Psalm chapter 23 and verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Moses, in the very near future, as he follows God and does what God has given him to do, he would go through the valley of the shadow of death, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And without a doubt, in my mind, I'm assured of this, the rod in the life of Moses is a great picture and a great type of the Bible that you and I hold in our hands here tonight. You see, I want to preach tonight on the book that you hold in your hand. What is that in thine hand? You see, we all, I trust we all have Bibles here this evening, but so often we forget the significance of what we hold in our hands. We've gotten so caught up with carrying this everywhere we go. I mean, we come to church day in and day out with our Bibles. I mean, I trust you get up every morning and you read your Bible, and if you're not careful, you'll forget what you have in your hand. Notice Moses' response, a rod. You know, uh, God had to show Moses that, Moses, that's not no ordinary rod. That's the very thing that I'm going to use to display my power to you. That's the very thing I'm going to use. That's, I'm going to display my presence to you, the protection and the provision in life. You see, later on in the wilderness, God would go ahead and use that rod to help bring victory to Israel. As long as Moses held the rod up, God would give victory. And I think there's a great picture here this evening with a rod being that which we hold in our hand. Now, I'm not, I'm not literally saying that's the Bible, but I think there's a great type, and I think there's a great picture here today. You see, like Moses, you might be here tonight burdened in life. You may live a life that is dominated by disappointments and regrets, perhaps by past and current actions and sins. You may live a life without seeming direction, not knowing what to do with your life. Your life may be in a dead-end destination, seemingly bound to the backside of the desert of life. But let me pose the same question to you that God posed to Moses. What is that in thine hand? What is that in thine hand? You see, uh, we forget that we have everything we could ever need right in our hands. And too many Christians are going around and they're, they're discouraged. They're, they're, they're borderline depressed. They look at the events of the day and they, they say, man, uh, can God do anything? I mean, think about what Moses is looking at. 
His people are enslaved. His, uh, he can't even go back to his home in Egypt because of what he's done. And he looks at the situation and no doubt I think he's probably a little discouraged. He's probably a little frustrated at his life right now. He's probably a little irritated at the, the lot in life that he's in. And God says, Moses, this is what I want you to do. God, how can I do that? You know what I've done. You know I can't go back there, God. Moses, what is that in thine hand? Well, it's a rod, God. Okay, I'm going to do some things with that, that you're going to find very quickly who I am and what I'm capable of. And it's that very rod that uh, is going to be a display of my power and protection in your life. And hey, friend, here tonight, what is that in thine hand? You see, you've got it sitting in your lap. You hold it in your hands. And yet we forget so often that that is the very thing that God's going to use to give us everything in life. It's not the government that's going to give you everything in life. It's not your brain that's going to be able to manipulate and work out things that's going to give you everything in your life. It's not uh, your education that's going to give you everything in life. All those things to have their place and all those things have their importance. But friend, don't forget what is in your hand. What is that in thine hand? Now I got four th truths here that I want us to be reminded of about God's word. Uh, because if you can grasp the significance of what you hold in your hand, you might be here and without direction. You might be here and you might be without discernment. You might be without a lot of things, but if you can grasp the significance of what you hold in your hand, you know what? God can do some great things with you, and God will bless you in a great and mighty way. I got four truths here I want to point out about God's Word, the Bible, and then we'll be done. Number one, the Bible is the book of dominion. The Bible is the book of dominion. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 119 and verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Over in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible goes on to say, For the word of God is quick and is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I, I mean, I know how we are. We're all human beings, and we all struggle with things. We all have our flaws. I have my flaws. You have your flaws. We have things that, if we're not careful, can bind us and bound us and imprison us. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves bound to things that we should not be. But can I remind you here today, though you might be overtaken in a fault, though you might be bound by a sin in your heart and in your life, you don't have to. You see, there is a book of dominion, a book of sovereign power and supreme authority that can conquer anything, but nothing can conquer it. It has power over everything, and nothing can overpower it. It has been duplicated and counterfeited many times, but nothing can come close and compare to it. What is this book I speak of? Where is this book I speak of? Why, it's the book in your hands. It's the book that's on your lap. Hey, friend, let me remind you here today, the Bible is the book of dominion. Far too often, Christians go through life, and they're bound by things that, honestly, they don't have to be. And they could overcome if they would realize that God will help them cleanse their way, but they've got to get in the Bible. Too many Christians are trying to overcome their sin with willpower, uh, and you know what? Let me say this. When you read the Bible, you do have to want to overcome that sin. 
I mean, just because you read the Bible, God's not going to say, snap his fingers and say, okay, you read the Bible, you no longer have a problem with it. But let me say, you're not going to overcome sin on your own by just your willpower. You're going to read the word of God and God's going to smack you upside the head and say, what are you doing? What are you doing involved in that? What are you doing looking like that? What are you doing talking like that? What are you doing watching that? And then through God's word, you're going to say, you know what? I need to straighten up and I need to change. And so we find here the Bible is the book of dominion. I want to read an excerpt from a book I was reading earlier this year. Uh, it was uh, speaking of, the, uh, of Britain during the Dark Ages. Um, and uh, I'm going to read it word for word here. It was an excerpt out of this book. In one of history's darkest times during a time period called the Dark Ages, much of the known world was hit hard, especially Britain. Almost 50% of the population died before their 13th birthday, and many children were not even given names until they had reached the age of seven. The life expectancy of women was only 24 years, with the life expectancy of men only slightly higher. The leading cause of death was starvation and disease, with the former facilitating the latter. Weather patterns were increasingly unpredictable, which further contributed to extreme famine and hardship. Disease followed hard on the heels of famine, with would-be physicians being reduced to primitive witch doctors. The average person never knew where he was, when he was, or even if he was. Few ventured more than 25 miles from the place of his birth for fear of getting lost forever. Life was viewed as a cheap commodity. Capital punishment was meted out for over 100 different crimes. You, you think we got it hard, right? The only thing you get the, the death penalty for is maybe if, you, maybe if you killed someone and did it in a horrific enough way, then you might get the death sentence. But 100 different crimes back then, you got the death penalty. Uh, immorality was frequent, generalized, and almost universal. One minister wrote in despair, nobody cares about heaven or hell. Nobody gives a thought to either God or the devil. The devil seemed to be ruling from his dictator's throne in mankind as a whole, bound in sin and spiritual darkness. Not all was without hope, however, for after almost a millennium of darkness, the light of God's word that man in religion had tried so hard to extinguish and eliminate once again began to illuminate the landscape of the European continent. In the 17th century, 1611 to be exact, the King James Bible was completed for the English-speaking people in Britain. England became the people of a book, and that book was the Bible. As the English people read God's Word, God's Word brought the English people spiritual freedom and physical blessing, as recorded in Psalm 33 too. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Because the English people became a people of the Bible, the spiritual darkness that was bound them was broken and in ushered a great time of blessing in all areas of life. You see, the English people were a darkened people. The English people, and, and really much of the, the known world at the time, people, and friend, it matters not what fault you are bound by. If God can shake a world upside down and, 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 uh, and, and overcome the darkness of the world, can he not overcome your sin? You see, you might be bound and dominated by the bottle, but you know what? I'm glad you got a book. That is not. You might be bound and dominated by drugs, but you know what? You have a book that is not bound by that. You might be bound and dominated by an immoral lifestyle, but you know what? You have a, the book right here that is not bound by that. 
You, have a, you, you may be bound and dominated by so many things, gossip and slander, bitterness, laziness and apathy, maybe disobedience and rebellion. It doesn't matter what it is. Can I say to you here today, God is not bound by anything. God's word is not bound by anything. It matters not what fault you are overtaken in. The Bible is the book of dominion. And too often Christians go around and they say, well, ah, man, I'm, I'm human. I'm flesh. And, you know, and like, I love what Pat says all the time. No, really? <laughs> you know, we go around sometimes and we make excuses like, well, God knows I'm flesh. And we almost use that as an excuse for why we stay bound in sins and why we allow ourselves to be caught up in these things when we have a book of dominion that God says, hey, if you would just take heed thereto according to my word, it cleanse your way. And the Bible is the book of dominion. Number two, we find another thing here. And uh, again, you may be here today and say, Brother French, I need some direction in my life. I don't know what to do. Maybe you're newly married and you need some direction. I mean, man, I remember those days. Uh, you need a lot of direction. Maybe you have a new kid uh, or maybe you have one coming and you need direction. Maybe, maybe you're not in any of those boats. But, you know, the truth is we all need direction. The Bible is the book of direction. If you want to make a certain food dish... You go to the recipe book. Now, I'm, man, since my wife decided to volunteer for the nursery, I'm going to pick on her for a little bit. Uh, me and Preacher have this inside joke uh, that she always likes to change recipes. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say one night at the dinner table, that was pretty good. And uh, she'll make it again, and I'll be like, wait, that doesn't taste the same. And uh, she's like, oh, I saw this new recipe on Instagram, or not Instagram, Pinterest. I saw this new recipe on Pinterest, and Preacher found out, and he's like, Tell that woman don't mess with the recipes. And uh, you know how strong, you know how, how adamant he is. And, um, but, so I'm messing with But if, if you want to make a certain dish, you go to the recipe book. If you want to build something, let's be honest, men, after you've really messed it up trying to assemble it without the directions, you go to the instruction book. Uh, if you want to waste time, you go to Facebook. Uh, if you want to know how to fix anything, what do we all do? We go to YouTube. Um, but here's the truth of the matter. If you want direction in your life, you go to the Bible. It is the book of direction. Uh, through the pitch black night, the captain saw a dead light ahead on a collision course with his ship. He sent a message, change your course 10 degrees east. A message came back in reply, change your course 10 degrees west. Angry, the captain sent back another message, I'm a Navy captain. Change your course, sir. The response came back, I'm a sailor. Second class, change your course, sir. Furious at this, the captain relayed again, I'm in a battleship, I'm not changing course. One last response came back, I'm in a lighthouse, it's your call. And uh, <laughs> you think about this, how many Christians treat the Bible like that? I mean, we read the Bible, and God says, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll tell you where to go, I'll tell you what to do. And so often Christians need direction in their life, and yet, we ignore what God's word says, and we wonder why we have no direction in life. We, it's, been, it's been ages since we've touched the Bible. We get home from church, and we throw it on our bookshelf, or we throw it on our uh, nightstand, or we throw it on our counter, and there it stays till the next church service. There it sits until the next time we need it. And then we wonder why we have no direction. We wonder why, why isn't God doing anything in my life? 
Is it, could it be, I mean, just could it be that we've ignored the book of direction? Could it, no, could it be that we're ignoring God's direction? Uh, a simple illustration, but uh, last summer we were, me and my wife were driving up to Ohio uh, to go to a, a conference, and, um, uh, you know, throw the, throw the Apple Car Play, got the maps, and you got it going. And so we're driving, and th- about three hours into it, we hit Savannah. And last year around this time, 20-mile stretch was uh, just shut down of, of uh, 95, just absolutely shut down. And uh, they, were, they were working on doing road construction and all that, and so they, the Google Maps said, you know, hang east, and go for about 30 minutes, and then you're going to hang north again, and you're going to go around it. And um, so <clears throat> I, I, I follow Google Maps, and so I'm going this way, and then all of a sudden, bam, I hit some more traffic. I mean, absolute standstill. And we're kind of on this overpass, and, uh, you know, so I'm, kind of, I'm getting frustrated because I just, there's nothing worse than just sitting in traffic. I mean, I'd rather just be, I mean, I'd rather be, if I, as long as I'm moving, I, I'd rather just be, even if I'm going out of my way, I'd rather be moving, you know? And um, so I'm on this overpass, and I can see streets and stuff down below, and I, I grab my phone. I'm kind of looking for some alternate routes, and Google Maps isn't giving me any. And uh, I've learned a lesson from that, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it for later. Um, <clears throat> so I'm looking here, and I'm looking around. I'm like, you know what? I could get off on this exit, and I could kind of cut up this road and cut up this street, and then pop back on. Because you know how Google Maps is. It kind of tells you it's, it's like red, and that's all traffic. And then it's green, and that's clear, right? And so I'm like, I'm going to take all this, and then I'm going to, bam, it's going to be clear. And so I, I said, this is what I'm going to do. My wife said, you, don't, you shouldn't do that. And I'm like thinking in my head, and I'm like, woman, what is she talking about? Like, I'm a man, you know. We, I know what I'm doing. You know, I listen to Google Maps. I mean, uh, and so I get off, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going that route that I, that I saw on Google Maps, and all of a sudden, standstill traffic. I'm in the middle of a neighborhood now. I mean, it is a neighborhood in Savannah, and it is just cars backed up, and then there's more coming behind me. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to cut down this side street. And that side street was packed full, and it was definitely not moving. And I'm looking back at the road behind me in the rearview mirror, and it's moving. And I said, well, I'm popping this driveway, and I'm popping back around. And it was a mess. Two hours. When if I would have just sat in that traffic and listened to the map, and listen to Google, uh, I'd have gotten through that in like 30 minutes. But I say all that to say this, I learned a lesson. (laughs) Always listen to Google Maps. Uh, Now don't trust Apple Maps, listen to Google Maps, it knows what it's saying. But uh, think about this here today. We will follow certain things, we'll follow a recipe book, and we'll follow it to a T, and you know what, we get the result we want. We will buy something, whether it's uh, something that needs to be assembled, and we will follow the instruction book to a T, and lo and behold, it comes out exactly the way it said it would. We um, don't know how to do something, and we may pull up YouTube and say, how do I do this? And it tells us exactly the steps we need to take to get the result we're looking for. And you know what? We follow it, and it turns out. We pull up maps on our phones or on our, in our cars, and we say, I want to get to this place, and it says, okay, this is the route you need to take, and we follow it, and lo and behold, we end up exactly where we want to go. Now, why is it that when it comes to God's word and uh, trying to make something of our life that matters for all of eternity and actually makes a difference uh, for all of eternity, why is it that God's word tells us you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to avoid that? 
and you need to, uh, you know, go ahead and sacrifice this and go ahead and surrender this. And we say, you know what? I, I, I got another route. I'm going to get to the same destination, but I've got another route I'm going to take. You know, the truth is, friend, it's not how it works. The Bible is the book of direction. Too many Christians aren't doing anything of eternal value for their life, and it's sad because they have the book of direction. While Christians are sitting around waiting for God to call them to do something, God's not going to give you a call when he's already given you a command. And Christians are waiting around, waiting on the voice of God when God's already said, I've already given you a verse. And they sit around, they say, God, I'm waiting on you when God has already given you direction. And you say, Brother French, I need direction in life. Hey, I'm in the same boat. I need direction in life. But you know where we're going to find it? We're going to find it in the Bible. What is that in your hand? You see, we forget about it. We take it for granted so often. We get so used to carrying it everywhere we go, bringing it to church all the time. Our pastor is going to tell us to go here again. And we get so, if I could say the word, apathetic about the Bible that we wonder why. Our life's a mess, and we wonder why we're not ending up where we desire to end up, where God said we would end up. Could it be that we're not following the book of direction? The Bible is the book of direction. Number three, moving right along here, the Bible is the book of discretion. The Bible is the book of discretion. Proverbs chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5 the Bible says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Now let me say right there, the wise counsels, part of that is speaking of God's word. Now, you know, I'm not one of those that believes that, you know, you don't, the only counsel you ever need is God's word. You also, God gives you a pastor. God gives you other Christians in your life that have, have experienced some things and been down life's road a while, and uh, they've made some mistakes, and they've, things have not turned out exactly right, and they've made the corrections, and they've gotten it right, and, you know, I, I, sometimes I get really sick of, People who say, oh, you know, I don't need to listen to all that. You know, I don't need to listen to the counsel. The Bible does say uh, wise counsels. And, uh, but think about this here today. The Bible is the book of discretion. When you go down the right path that the Bible has put you on, the Bible gives you discernment and wisdom. It's the book of discretion. Now, let me share this, uh, this uh, story here in 1775, shortly after the start of the American Revolutionary War, General George Washington faced the very real prospect of a smallpox outbreak ravaging his army of continental soldiers. The British Army, knowing how to deal with, with smallpox, uh, could, could easily take advantage of this uh, weakness of theirs. Washington had spent time in the British Army prior to the war and had gained the necessary knowledge to overcome smallpox. When smallpox appeared in the British Army, regimental surgeons would remove all men who had not been exposed and inoculate them. Inoculation involved the deliberate inducing of a disease in patients and keeping them quarantined 
until they lived or died. The mortality rate from smallpox inoculation was much lower than that of catching it naturally. Survivors of inoculation were fit for duty and safe from further attacks due to the body's buildup of lifelong immunity. Having experienced and narrowly escaped death from smallpox himself as a young man during a trip to Barbados in 1751, Washington carried scars on his nose from the disease along with natural immunity. Realizing the precarious danger that his army was in, he gave general orders for the inoculation of all continental soldiers. This decision proved to be prudent, one in which he would, let me turn my page, reap the benefits of over the years of active fighting that lay ahead. As the British resorted to using an early form of biological warfare by sending diseased prisoners, civilians, and slaves fleeing from the British Army to the Continental Army for freedom, Continental soldiers maintained their effectiveness, having been inoculated to smallpox. Now, I want you to think about that. If General George Washington could have discretion in a physical war against his earthly enemy, how much more should we as Christians, having the book of discretion in our hands, in our laps, with us at all times, whether we're out and about or at home, how in the world can we not have discretion in a spiritual war against our eternal enemy? You see, what is that in thine hand? Too many Christians go around and they get blown up by the devil all the time, and it's not because they don't have a Bible. It's not because they don't have a church. It's not because they don't have a preacher and a pastor that preaches the word of God and warns them against sin and warns them against the enemy they face. It's because they're not in the book. It's the book that gives you discernment. And it boggles my mind in how, how so many Christians over and over again can fall for the follies of this world and fall for the foolishness of this world and fall for the sin of this world. And it's like they have no discernment. Uh, it's like they, they've forgotten what God's word says. And I, I think it's just telling that Christians as a whole are not in the book. What is that in thine hand, Christian? What is that in thine hand? As God asked Moses, as Moses had his questions and his fears and his doubts, and he, he, he needed direction, and he needed discernment for what he was going to do, and he needed something that had the power to overcome what he was going to face. He needed all those things, and God said, hey, Moses, what is that in thine hand? And Moses said, a rod. And Christian, what is that in thine hand? It's the word of God. A riverboat captain wanting to put his passengers at ease said, I've sailed boats on this river for so long I know where each sandbar is. Suddenly the boat struck a sandbar so hard it shook the boat and knocked the captain and all the passengers right off their feet. Look, said the captain, why there's one right there. And, um, you know, is that not how Christians act? Sometimes we get so full of ourselves. I've grown up in church my whole life. I know the attacks of the devil. I know what he's all about. I know how to overcome this, and I know how to overcome that, and I know, I know, I know. And uh, then, bam, we, get, we hit the devil, and we, hit his, we get tripped up by his temptations, and we, get, we stumble at the follies and the sins of this world. Why is that? Because we've not been in the book of discernment. You see, you're not going to get discernment apart from this book. You know, I mean, pastor's been preaching some great stuff. You know where he gets it from? The Bible. I mean, he finds all this stuff in the Bible. It's amazing. You start reading the Bible, 
And then all of a sudden, God gives you discernment. Can't explain it. I had to go to God and say, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do. I mean, I've been guilty of trying to reason my way out of things. I've been guilty of trying to, uh, trying to work things out and trying to fix things in my own power. And I've had to go to God and say, God, I don't know what to do. God, what do I do? And you know what? You read the Bible, all of a sudden, God gives you discernment. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And Christians can't discern what's in front of them because they aren't studying what's in front of them. They can't discern what's coming at them because they aren't in what's in their hands. We've got to realize here today the Bible is the book of discernment. And hey, Christian, do you need power over something? It's found right here. Do you need, um, do you need direction in life? It's found right here. Do you need discernment in life to make the right decisions? It's found right here. I mean, teenagers, you got a lot of important decisions to make coming up. A lot of key decisions that I made in my life were in my teen years. And you know what? You're going to find it right here. And of course, obviously, go to your pastor and go to your parents. But get in God's word. And young people, the, the college age and uh, the single adults and all of that, you know, uh, get in God's word and go to your pastor and go to your parents and, and go to those who are down the road from you and get that wisdom. But you know what? Get in God's word. Too often, I mean, this is a, this is a ridiculous age we live in. Time wasteful age. Everyone's wastes their time on all these different things. And then we pick up the Bible for two minutes and read a book, of, uh, read a chapter of Proverbs and say, I got my wisdom for the day. And then we wonder why our life's a wreck. And we wonder why, but we can spend two hours on Facebook. We spend two hours on Instagram and, and God help us if you're on TikTok and uh, spend all this time in front of all these things. And we give God five minutes and we wonder why we have no discernment. You see, the Bible is the book of discernment. And then number four, and I'll be done. The Bible is the book of destination. The Bible is the book of destination. Now, it was through this rod that God was going to use with Moses to lead his people out. And it was through that rod God was going to lead him to the promised land. And it was going to take him to the place of destination. The book of Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. When the Bible says straightened in that verse, it means your steps will not be narrowed. Uh, God will give you a wide path to go down if you follow him. Uh, he's not going to trip you up. He's not going to cause you to stumble. He's not going to cause you to fall. You follow God's right paths, and he'll give you a wide way to go, and he'll make sure that, uh, that, that you will not stumble, and he'll make sure that your steps will not be narrowed. You're not going to follow God and have to be tiptoeing on the way to heaven. I mean, you're not going to follow God and have to be tiptoeing your way through earth. No, God will show you the way, and he'll show you the way to go. And you can walk confidently and say, hey, this is the way God has given me to go, and I'm confident in it. I don't got to walk like I'm on a tightrope. I know what God's given me to do, and I know what direction he has me going in. And because of that, it's going to get me to a certain destination. The Bible is the book of destination. When you go down the right path that the Bible has put you on, and when you heed the wisdom that the Bible gives you, you will always, always arrive 
at the right destination. You see, the Bible is the book of destination. Uh, When you trust the Bible, it'll take you to a place of peace in the present. We live in a chaotic world, do we not? People are looking for peace anywhere they can. I mean, they're, they're, they're looking for it everywhere. Even Christians, sometimes they get caught up. Oh, man, you know, we get so upset about everything, and we get so uh, frustrated with everything, and we're looking for peace from everywhere, and we forget, what is that in thine hand? The Bible is the book of destination, and when you trust the Bible, it'll take you to a place of peace in the present. Great peace have they which love thy law. You don't have to be chaotic in this world just because the world's chaotic. You don't have to be all bent out of shape just because this world's bent out of shape because the Bible says if you love God's law, great peace have they which love thy law. If you'll trust this Bible, friend, if you'll just, you may not understand it. I'll be honest. I don't always understand everything. Daniel didn't understand everything God said to him. He just said, write it down. Uh, John didn't understand everything God said to him, but he said, hey, do it, it, write it down, record it. Uh, And let's be honest here, we don't always understand everything. But, you know what, if we'll just trust it, God's word will always, always take us to a place of peace in the present. But think about this, trusting the Bible will always take you to a place of promise in the future. Man says, when you give him the gospel, oh, that sounds too easy. I, was talk- I mean, I was talking to a lady yesterday. I said, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And she said, oh, yeah. And she grabbed her crucifix around her neck, and she's, like, grabbing these 14 crosses she's got in her car. And um, she was driving by, and she was, like, t- yelling at us from a distance. You know, not mean-wise, just talking to us. And so I took that as an opportunity, like, bam. You know, she's going to get the gospel. And uh, she's, like, grabbing the crucifixes, and she's like, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I... I, you know, very kindly said, sounds like you, sounds like you do a lot. And uh, I said, but it sounds like it's all based on you. And uh, I said, the Bible says that salvation is in Jesus Christ and his finished work in, in Calvary. And she wouldn't have any of it. She said, no, 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 I, she's grabbing crosses and all this stuff. And isn't that man? I mean, you tell him, this is what the Bible says, not of works, lest any man should boast. A man says, oh, I, I don't believe that. I, I, you, know, you, you show him right there, you say, for by grace are ye saved through faith, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A man says, that just doesn't sound right to me. And you know what? They won't trust it. But ask anybody who, if we could, if we could pick up the phone right now and ask people in heaven and say, hey, Did you get to heaven by trusting what God said in his word? Each and every time they would say, yes, I did. I got here because I trusted the Bible. And you know, friend, trusting the Bible will take you to a place of promise in the future. I don't care what this world says. I don't care what religion says. God's word can be trusted. And so, friend, here today, let me ask you this question. Much like God asked Moses, what is that in thine hand? What is that that you carry around with you all the time that maybe has become old hat to you? Do you know that Rod probably got a little old to Moses? I mean, he's carried it for a long time now. He's been walking around with the sheep for at least 40 years by now. He's been carrying that thing with him. You think he got used to it after a while? You think he, it was like, oh, this old thing? And uh, maybe that's become your attitude with the Bible. Oh, can I remind you here today? That the Bible is a book of dominion. The Bible 
is a book of direction. The Bible is the book of discretion. And lastly, the Bible is the book of destination. Though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, and though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is the book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. When I prayerfully look in the precious old book, many pleasures and treasures I see, many tokens of love from the Father above, who is nearest and dearest to me. This old book is my guide, tis a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my way, and each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it, and don't miss this, and heed it today. Hey friend, what is that in thine hand? Have you gotten over it? Have you kind of put it off to the side and picked up something else instead? Have you ignored it? Have you, uh, uh, have you gotten away from it? Hey, what is that in thine hand? Pick it back up and just go to God and say, God, I, I've gotten away from it. And God, I've, I've been foolish. And God, I've made a mess of my life, much like Moses. I've made some mistakes, God. You know what God will say? He'll say, hey, what is that in thine hand? He said, there ain't nothing that's going to stop that. And it can overcome anything you're struggling with. It'll give you wisdom in any area you need. And it'll make sure that you arrive at the right destination. What is that in thine hand? Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for 